Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing all right today? Hey, why don't we give a big hand to Bridge Youth, all of our junior high and high school students as they exit this morning. And if you are a junior high or high school student and you'd like to join us for Bridge Youth, you are welcome to come right now straight through those double doors. we got a big old gang of students, which is awesome. Man, it's cool to see what God's doing in youth. It's awesome. So, so good. Hey, as they're exiting, I just want to take a moment welcome everybody today. Thank you so much for being in church today, especially if you are new, if you're a guest with us today. If you are new or newer to the church, we want to help you get plugged in and connected here at the bridge, and we would love to meet you as well. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and um, I just personally want to give you a quick opportunity to um, get plugged in and connected here. And the way that we do that is obviously by hanging out and getting to know one another. But we have a team that's here to serve you at the info center before you go today. So I want to invite everybody that's a guest, please take the time to stop by the info center before you go. Right when you walk through this first set of double doors at the end of service, the info center is to your right-hand side. And we have a team that is there to answer your questions if you have any, to do their very best to answer those questions and tell you more about church life, things that are coming up, and how it is that you can get plugged in and connected. We value your participation, your attendance, your presence here today. So thank you so much for being here. And we want to give you a big welcome in just a moment, but let me just say this also. Every first Sunday of the month is our Connecting Point Sunday. We have an event called Connecting Point that happens during the 1130 service every first Sunday of the month. And last week we had 27 new partners that joined up here at the bridge to call the bridge their home church. And we are so, so grateful for all of our new partners. We're grateful that you're here today and we would love to meet you and help you get connected. So can we just get a big, big hand to all of our guests who are here today? Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, before we get into the word today, um, we want to do something really special. Here in, at the bridge, we have, and really throughout the Temecula Valley, but in our church as well, we have a very, very strong military community in our church. And every time we have someone who is enlisted or going into the military or going to be deployed, we want to take the time to honor them, to pray for them, and just ask for God's hand of protection. How many people think that's a good idea? So I want to know if Derek Williams is here this morning. You here, Derek? We're going to pray for, come on up, brother. Come on, let's give this guy a hand as he comes up here. Come on up on the platform with me, bro. How you doing, man? Pretty good, obviously, sir. Good, come on up here in the middle. Everybody can see you. Look at this guy. All right, so I failed to ask a few important questions. Mm -hmm. Question number one, are you enlisting right now or are you about to be deployed? Uh, I get deployed tomorrow. You get deployed tomorrow. Awesome. Hey, man, we want you to know, number one, thank you for your service. Appreciate it. Thanks for We can't say thank you enough because what you're doing is self-sacrificing, and we recognize that. And we all also recognize that we're the beneficiaries of your sacrifice and what you're doing. So thank you very, very much. Where are you going? I'm going to Missouri. I'm actually going to boot camp. Oh, you're going to boot camp? Okay. Gotcha. Man, we are so grateful for everything that you're doing and giving of yourself. We believe God's got an awesome plan in front of you, but not just an awesome plan in front of you. We think he's already started a good thing. And anytime anybody in our church is going to leave here, whether it's for deployment or have recently enlisted going into boot camp, we want to honor that, number one. But number two, we want to pray for God's protection in your life. Um, I want you to know, first of all, before we do this, you always have a home here at the bridge you got a family of people that are standing with you, agreeing with you, praying for your well-being, for your future, and for your protection as God leads you down the path that he has for you. So thank you so much for your service. Will you everybody just extend a hand real quick? Let's just pray for Derek. Let's pray for God's provision and his protection in his life. God, I thank you for the sacrifice that Derek is making. I thank you so much that he is giving of himself so that we can be the beneficiaries of that act, God, and enjoy the freedoms that we have. Father, we thank you that we have freedom because you've given it to us and because men and women fight for our freedom and give of themselves so that we can enjoy it. Today, we do not let that sacrifice go by unnoticed. We pray for Derek today, God. I pray in Jesus' name, number one, that you would give him the desires of his heart. Father, you've put them in there, God. You know the plans that you have for them, God, for him, God. And I pray that you would lead him down every good and perfect path that you have for him. But I pray also, God, that you would block all the paths that you don't want him to walk down, Father. That you would lead him with a hand of protection that looks out for him, God, in his heart, in his mind, in his soul, and in his body, God. That you would go before him and that you would make a way, God. I pray that he would always follow the peace of God that leads him, God. That he would 
know that every single decision that's in front of him is led by you, that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by you, God, and that he can lean on you even in the most difficult of times. Father, we recognize that he's about to walk down a road that many of us have not walked down, but there are many in this room who have, and they have come through it and been better for it. So I pray today that you would mold him and shape him and make him into the man that you want him to be. But God, but God again, lead him, guide him, protect him, and provide for him in this endeavor. We honor him today, and we thank you for your provision. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Come on, give Derek one more big hand. Let's thank him for his service. Thank you, sir. We never want to take, or we never want to take that for granted, the people that give of themselves and serve our nation and really serve us. So thank you all so much for joining us in that moment. We're going to jump into God's word right now. So if you have your Bible, would you meet me in Matthew chapter 14? Matthew 14. I want to bring you a message this morning called The Miracle in Your Hands. The Miracle in Your Hands hands. If you know your Bible very well, and even if you don't, you would know this story very, very well. It's funny, when I first started preaching in church almost nine years ago, I'll never forget in my first opportunities when I would just kind of read through scripture, whether it was in my daily reading or just studying different portions of scripture, there are some, some passages of scripture in the Bible that we know very well. And then sometimes you'll walk through a passage that maybe you didn't know very well previously, and God kind of just reveals things to you in the text. And I remember when I first started preaching, I didn't want to preach from the really popular passages because it sounded like that was like the obvious thing to preach about. And I remember like kind of scouring through the scripture and looking for the things that nobody else preached about or everybody overlooked. But one of the things I've found over the last few years is that the deepest truths or the deepest things that we find in revelations that we find in the word of God oftentimes come from the simplest of principles. And so I want to look at one of the most famous stories in the Bible today. Because recently I was reading through this passage and I was amazed at how God just kind of used this passage to point out a few things in my life. And I remember the last time I preached, I told you this, I'm going to say it again today. Today as I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. Because God used this passage to point some stuff out in my life and I hope he'll do the same thing for you also. Matthew 14 tells us the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We'll talk about that number in a little bit and the significance of it and really what it means. But most of us know the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. I would probably guess that more than 90% of us, we know the story really well, up and down, inside and out, we know all the details. But today, I just want to ask you if you would just kind of put your thinking cap on with me a little bit and think through this in a different way and just ask God to show you some different things today from this passage of Scripture. Now, a couple things before we read this passage in Matthew 14. Again, it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This story appears in all four Gospels, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them tell the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, but they all tell it a little bit differently. And I want to point out a few of those details today. We see this passage here in Matthew 14. We see it in Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6, if anybody's taking notes to write that down. But Matthew's version is the one that stuck out to me for two reasons. Because it's the most concise, it's kind of the most short way of explaining and telling the story. But not only that, Matthew uses some very interesting verbs that really stood out to me. And I want to show you these today. So let's read this really quick from Scripture today. Matthew chapter 14, 13 through 21. If you don't have your Bible, this will be on the screen behind us. It says in verse 13, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. So when it says that Jesus heard it, it's talking about how Jesus had recently got some bad news. He had found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had actually just been killed. More specifically, he had been beheaded. He had been killed. And so this man who had fulfilled a great Bible prophecy, who was the one who came before Jesus, the voice crying in the wilderness, preaching the gospel of repentance, clearing the way for Jesus to come, he had just lost his life. And this wasn't just a significant Bible figure. This was Jesus' cousin. This is somebody that Jesus knew intimately well. And so it says that Jesus heard that news and he departed in a boat to a deserted place by himself. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Second half of that verse says, but when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And then Jesus went out, he saw, excuse me, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Now, if you read this in the Mark account, the Mark chapter 6 account, this is what it says. It says that Jesus saw the multitude and was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We think about this passage of scripture where Jesus is about to feed 5,000, and sometimes we think, ah, oh, there were just 5,000 people who were hungry. No, 
These were 5,000 people who were desperately in need of a Savior. So if you look at verse 15, it says, When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. So send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy food themselves. Now look at Jesus' response, verse 16. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Very important words right there from Jesus. They don't need to go away. Instead, disciples, you give them something to eat. Verse 17. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Now, if you know this passage of Scripture or you know the story really well from the Bible, you're wondering, where's the little boy? Because we know that the two fish and the five loaves came from a little boy. Only John's Gospel gives us that account. So that's the place that tells us that there was a little boy who seemed to have like a sack lunch or something. And among all the 5,000 plus people who were there, it was just this one little boy who had two fish and five loaves. It's not recorded in Matthew, but we see it in the Gospel of John. Now, read on verse 18. And Jesus said... Bring the two fish and the five loaves here to me. Bring them. Everybody say, bring it. Verse 19. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed. Everybody say, bless it. And he broke. Everybody say, break it. And gave the loaves to the disciples. That's important. And he gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave the loaves to the multitude. Verse 20, so they all ate and were filled, and they took, everybody say take, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now I want to just explain this really, really quickly because scripture, you know, says that there were 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. Traditionally in these days when things were recorded, they would only count the men and leave out, sadly, the women and children. So we don't know exactly how many people were really there. A lot of Bible teachers and Bible scholars kind of, you know, assume that there was at least 10,000, at least 15,000. Some people will say, well, you know, men started getting married earlier then and they had children earlier and most of the time they had this many children. We don't really know exactly how many people were there. I'm not going to assume and add to the text here. But what we do know is that if Jesus had fed five hundred people with two fish and five loaves, that would have been a miracle, right? So we can assume that if it was at least 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people, that was an even greater miracle, okay? The number isn't what's important. The miracle is what is important. And understanding that we don't know how many people were there, that's not the point, the number. The point is Jesus had the miraculous power to do things that we in and of ourselves could not do naturally, I was just thinking about this, actually. I think me and five friends, two fish and five loaves, wouldn't have been enough. 500 people, 5,000, 15, 10, 20,000 people, that's a lot of people and a small amount of food. That's a really incredible miracle. Now, here's where I want to go with this today. Those of you who know this story very, very well, it's so easy to kind of draw conclusions about where we're going to go. But I want to challenge you for a moment to take yourself and just step out of where you are right now and put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. If you read this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as synoptic gospels. They kind of in a parallel fashion tell the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And then John's account is a little bit different. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three say something about this point in time. They all say that Jesus has just found out that John the Baptist has died. So there's this burden of sorrow that's now come on to Jesus. He's going away to a deserted place. And scripture also tells us that the disciples have just come back from a ministry tour. Jesus has sent them out to minister to the local towns. And what Jesus says is he says, don't take any food with you, don't take any clothing with you, and don't take any money with you. You need to trust that God will provide for you and go out, heal the sick, cast out demons. That's literally what Jesus told them to do. And they walked away from Jesus and went out and ministered on their own. And all three gospel accounts say that at this time, they come back to Jesus and begin to tell Jesus the stories of what they experienced. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he recognizes that they are tired, that they are weary, and that they are worn out and they are in need of rest. So the the beginning of this passage insinuates that while Jesus being burdened with the death of a loved one and the disciples worn out and weary from a ministry tour are in need of rest. And so Jesus takes them away. And so they're heading off to a deserted place to get what? To get some rest. There's just one problem. 
There's a multitude of people that want to get a piece of Jesus. They want to see this guy for himself. Can he really heal? Is he really doing the things that we've heard? Could he possibly even be the Messiah that's been prophesied about in our scriptures? Is he the one? And so suddenly this multitude is upon them, and they had gotten away to get rest, but now this is not a restful situation. And scripture tells us that while the disciples are tired, and while Jesus is emotionally burdened, he looks out at the multitude and he has compassion on them because he recognizes that they have a deep spiritual need. They are in need of a savior. He sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. Now this isn't a part of the message, but I just want to throw this into you today. Jesus here was tired and weary and so were all of his disciples, yet there was a hungry, passionate group of people who were seeking him out. I don't know where you're at in your life today, but I want to tell you this. If you will seek out God, if you will ask and seek and knock and desperately pursue him, he will be moved with compassion to get involved in your life. I'm going to say that again because we should get way more excited about that, okay? If you are passionate to see God move in your life and you pursue him, you ask, you seek, you knock, and you are persistent about it, he will be moved with compassion to get involved in your life because that's who our God is. Amen? Because that's who he is. And what's really interesting is all of that sets us up to this moment where Jesus encounters this group and begins to preach to them. And we know there's at least 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children. Jesus is tired. Jesus is burdened. The disciples are tired. The disciples are hungry. And scripture tells us in the other passages and other gospels, what it says is as the day begin to wear away, they begin to get hungry. Now, I'm just going to step out and say this. This is me talking. This isn't the Bible. But I can only imagine the disciples saying, Jesus, the, the people are hungry. Oh, they're so hungry. So here's what we should do. We should, you know, this has been a great series of messages today. Thank you for that. But we should probably go ahead and dismiss the service now because the people are hungry. In all reality, the disciples were equally tired and equally hungry because they had gone through a bit of a journey over the previous days themselves. And all of that sets up Jesus then looking at them and saying, Oh, they're hungry, are they? <laughs> well, since you've brought this problem to me, let me involve you in the solution. They're hungry. We don't need to send them away to get food. Instead, how about this? You feed them. So they bring Jesus this problem thinking this is going to be their way out. We're going to go finally get this rest and the food that we need. And instead, Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. I recognize the problem too, but here's the thing. I'm not going to just dismiss them. I'm going to involve you in being the solution to the problem. And so Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So he sends them out and says, find out what's here. Find out what we have. Is there any food to be found? And what we know is that after scouring, now isn't this crazy that among 5,000 people, all they could come up with was two fish and five loaves? I almost wonder if God ordained it that way so that he could show off his miracle working power. Two fish and five loaves. That's it among 5,000 plus people. So he goes out and says, go, go, go see what's out there. John's account tells us they find this little boy, two fish and five loaves. They come back and they say, Jesus, here's what we got. Here's what we got, okay? Two fish and five loaves. Now, I have to think that the disciples could have easily dismissed this little boy and said, you know what, that ain't near enough food, so don't even worry about it. Just go on about your way because that's not enough food to feed this entire crowd. But instead, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, okay, we've identified there's two fish and five loaves. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring it. To me. Now, I identified a second ago four verbs, and you repeated them back to me when we were reading that story. And I want to tell you what these four verbs are that are really important, that tell us really some life lessons that the disciples learned in the process of the feeding of the 5,000. Here's what they are bring it, bless it, break it, take it. Bring it, bless it, break it, take it. Bring it, bless it, break it, take it. Jesus says, You have two fish and five loaves. Bring them to me. Bring the two fish and the five loaves to me. When it comes to bringing the two fish and the five loaves to Jesus, here's what we need to know. In order for Jesus to get involved in our lives or in order for Jesus to produce and perform this miracle, we must choose to bring him something to work with. Because when the disciples were sent out to go find out how much food there was, they could have easily dismissed the problem and said, that's nowhere near enough. Little boy, be on your way. And then Jesus finds out what they have and says, Bring it to me. Now, here's what's interesting about this. I have to believe that Jesus, in his supernatural, miraculous power, could have just said, okay, you got two fish and five loaves? That's going to be plenty. Go ahead and start passing it out. I have to think that Jesus could have done that. But instead, he begins this process where he involves the disciples in providing and performing the miracle. 
he puts the miracle in their hands. See, because what I think is happening here is Jesus is not just feeding the 5,000. I think Jesus is teaching the disciples some incredibly important life lessons that we also need to learn ourselves. Jesus says, bring me what you have. Can I tell you something? If you want God to do something great in and through your life, you need to bring him what you have. When Jesus says, bring it to me, this is a picture of him saying, let me have access to your life. Give me access to every corner, to every area of your life. Let me take a good closer look at it. Let me get my hands on it and see if I can make this situation better than you can. Because two fish and five loaves doesn't seem enough. See, when I think about my own abilities, my own resource, my own talent, all that kind of stuff, the reality is, in and of myself, I don't have a whole lot to work with unless God does something amazing with it. And Jesus looks down at each and every one of us and the life that he's called us to, and he says, bring it to me and see if I can't do something greater with it than you can do in and of yourself. That's the challenge. You have to bring it to me. Jesus says, bring it. Jesus saw the need of the multitude that day, but before the miracle took place, he asked them to bring it. Now, here's what's interesting about this. In these four verbs I want to tell you today, the first one, obviously, is bring it, and the second one is bless it. But before we get to bless it, I just want to point something out to you real quick. A lot of us want the blessing of God, but we don't want to do the bringing to God. God, bless my life. God, bless my family. God, bless my business. Bless my finances. Bless my kids. Bless my relationship. Bless all of these areas of my life. And God says, you want my blessing? Then I need you to do a little bit of bringing. Bring me what you have. Let me take a closer look at it. Let me get involved. Let me put my hands on it. Let me show you that I can do more with this than you can. But it all starts with the bringing. Now, this principle applies to all kinds of areas of our life, but let me break it down in one specific area. Let me just tell you, this is not a message about money or about finance, but this lines up so well with the Old Testament teaching on giving. If you look at Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, they both bring an offering to God. Scripture says that Abel brought his first and his best. Cain brings his leftovers and says, God, I'm going to give you what I want to give you, and you're just going to need to be happy with that. Scripture says that God accepts Abel's offering. He brought his first and he brought his best, and God blessed Abel for it, but he rejected. Scripture uh, in the New King James, it says, did not respect that offering. What's funny about it is that if you actually look further on in the Old Testament language, Malachi 3, the principle of tithing, bring all the tithe into the storehouse so there will be food on my table. What's so interesting about that is that it doesn't say pay your tithe, doesn't say give your tithe, doesn't say pay your God bill or your church bill. It says bring your first, bring your best to God because bringing always goes before blessing. All of us want the blessing of God in our life, but sometimes we fail to do the bringing. Before we move on to the blessing part, we just got to stop and kind of get this part out of the way. As I read through this passage of scripture and I saw bring, bless, break, take, it occurred to me that there are areas of my life sometimes that I am not giving God access to. I'm asking him to bless it. I'm expecting him to bless it. But when the blessing doesn't come, I have to stop and ask myself the question, why isn't blessing being poured out into my life? Is it because there's maybe an area of my life that I have not brought to God and given him access to? It's kind of like when you open up a dark closet and you shed some light in there. Are there dark closets of my life that I don't let anybody into? Well, guess what? Those are areas of my life that aren't going to be blessed. Why? Because I have not brought them to God. If we want to find the blessing of God, we have to be responsible to do the bringing to God. Does that make sense to everybody? Bring it, bless it, break it, take it. Let's talk about blessing for just a moment. Because if we can do the bringing, what we'll find is that the blessing is available to us. Scripture says there in verse 19... Verse 18 said, Jesus said, bring me the fish and the loaves. But verse 19, it says that when he received the fish and the loaves, he blessed them. Now, here's what's really cool about this. There are two facets to this idea of God blessing something in our life. All throughout scripture, the principle of God's blessing is always related to God's acceptance of us. If we will bring God our lives, bring him who we are, especially bring him our best and even bring him our worst. Say, God, here I am. I'm available to you. I open every corner, every area of my life up to you. What we will find is that God accepts our life as an offering and says, okay, I bless that. I accept that. I receive you. And so when Jesus receives the fish and the loaves, he accepts it as a form of blessing. But what's really cool about this is that you actually read this passage of Scripture in context in verse 19. The Greek word here for blessing, when it says that Jesus blessed the fish and the loaves, it's this word eulogio, which is where we get our English word eulogy. And it literally means to praise or to celebrate. 
So Jesus receives what they've brought to him. He receives it as a form of blessing. I receive this. I accept this. But then that word eulogio, celebrate or praise. Jesus prays a prayer of blessing right here. And here's what's funny about this. You know, for me, when I sit down to pray over a meal, I oftentimes find myself kind of praying, Jesus, bless this food to our bodies. Thank you for it. Um, let us not get sick. You know, that kind of a prayer. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with playing that, like, you know, make this nourishing to our bodies. That's an okay prayer. But the way that Jesus actually prayed this prayer in the Hebrew tradition, he prayed a, a bracha, which is a Hebrew blessing prayer, okay? And these are the words that were traditionally prayed around a meal. These are the words. Listen to this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. That would have been the prayer that Jesus in his Hebrew tradition would have prayed in this moment. I want to read it to you again. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. You know what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is praying not a prayer of God sanctify this bread. He's praying a prayer of thanksgiving, celebration, and gratitude to God. But he's saying, God, you are the one who's created the universe. You are the one who's spoken the earth into existence. You are the one who allows bread to be brought forth from the earth. And if I can identify that you are that all-powerful, creative God, then I can also identify that you are about to meet the needs of the 5,000-plus people who are here today. He prays this prayer of identity and gratitude and hope and expectation of the miracle that's about to come. And here's what I want to show you when it comes to the blessing that God wants to put on our life. If we will bring our lives to God, the first blessing is his acceptance, okay? We bring it, he accepts it as a part of blessing. But here's the other form of blessing. The blessing that's happening here is not Jesus just blessing the meal. It's Jesus blessing God and saying, thank you for what you're about to do. Some of us find ourselves in these situations where we need God to provide for us miraculously, supernaturally. We're in a difficult spot, and we're like, God, I need you to come through for us. And what oftentimes happens is we forget to praise God along the way in the process in order to water that seed and see it one day come to fruition. Because if we will understand that progress always has a process, we will praise God along the way in the process, watering that seed until the day comes that we hold the harvest in our hand. Scripture talks about the very beginning of Genesis, that God ordained this thing from the beginning, seed, time, and harvest. We believe in the seed. God, I give you my life. God, I give you my resource. God, I give you my finance, whatever it is. And I also believe in this harvest over here. But time? I don't want to wait. Pastor Gary talked about this last week. This is what a lot of us do. I'm willing to plant the seed, and I'm really hungry for the harvest. But seed, time, and harvest? Hurry up, God. Where are you at? How long is this going to take? What's the deal? And pretty soon what happens is we stop praising God for the thing we're believing him to do, and we start complaining to God because it's not happening fast enough. And Jesus offers up this prayer of blessing where he says, God, you are the creator of heaven and earth. You're the one who brings forth bread from the earth. And if you are a creator who can speak things into existence, then I know that this miracle is not going to be too difficult for you. I praise you and I believe that an expectation you are about to provide for every single person who is here today. We have to reach to a place in our life where we understand that when we bring our life to God, even if we haven't yet seen all the things that we're believing for, we have to praise him in the process because praise waters the seed of the fruit that is to come. Come on, is everybody with me this morning? Praise waters the seed of the fruit that is to come. Bring it so I can bless it. But here's the funny part. We talk about harvest you know, a lot of us old-time Christians that, especially if you come from a Pentecostal or a charismatic background, are like, woo, the harvest is coming. Here's the thing about harvest. Harvest is hard work. Because harvest means i got to go out and i got to pick it off the crop myself. It means that i got to make plans to make sure that as the fruit comes in, I'm going out and doing the work to bring it all in. Harvest is hard work. It's not like God just switches the magic switch and suddenly it all just appears in my barrels. No, we have to be willing to go out and do the work. And that leads us to the third part. Bring it, bless it, but here's where the rubber meets the road. Jesus says, bring it to me, and Jesus is about to break it. And verse 19 goes on and talks about how after the bread had been broken, he took it, he blessed it, and he broke it. In order for Jesus to distribute the miracle, he first had to break it. The breaking of the bread opens the door to the distribution of the miracle. Now, here's the thing I want to show you, and this is where God's working on me, okay? Let me be really honest with you. 
If you look at the other gospel accounts of this story, it says, and right here in Matthew, it says that Jesus told the people, the multitude, that before he distributed the fish and the loaves to sit down on the grass. Other accounts say that he told the disciples to go out and organize these people into groups of 50s and 100s. Now, think about this. Twelve disciples, tired, weary, worn out, and hungry. Okay, you want to see a miracle happen? Here's what I need you to do. I'm going to need you to run out there among all these people. I need you to organize them into groups of 50 and 100. That sounds easy, right? Well, there's 5,000 men who are already hungry. That's a big enough problem. Try organizing that bunch, okay? And as they're complaining about how hungry they are, their wives are like, shut up, honey. They know you're hungry. I think they're trying to get to it. And on top of that, you got children running around all over the place, and trying to get them together is like herding cats. So that's a difficult process. And Jesus says, why don't you 12 go out and organize these 15,000 people into groups of 50s and 100s? Why? Because the harvest is work. And if we want God's provision, we're going to have to be willing to get our hands dirty and let him work through us and work with us. Now, here's the thing that gets me right here. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, I'm a God of order. I'm a God of structure. And this is a multitude that's kind of a mess. And if this miracle is going to go and take place, I'm going to break the bread, but I need to find some order among the multitude. You know what I've found? is that in this story, Jesus wasn't just breaking bread. I believe that Jesus was breaking the disciples because he's teaching them a life lesson about the ministry that's still in front of them, that if they will be willing to do the work, God will bring about the harvest. If we will be willing to do the work, God will bring about the harvest in our life. But here's the thing about the breaking. We talk about the breaking of the bread, the breaking of the disciples. This picture of organization and order that Jesus sends the disciples out to do, what really hits me is that when I submit, when I bring myself to God, he accepts me, and I begin to thank him, and I invite him to get involved in my life, what oftentimes happens is God begins to break me and reorder and restructure my life. And you know what really stinks about going through the process of brokenness is sometimes it hurts. Allowing God to come in and knock down things that don't want to be there and remove the stuff that doesn't need to be in our life and add the things that we do need. It's like God comes in and says, I'm going to clean out the closets. I'm going to pull out all that stuff that you've been hiding underneath the bed. I'm going to go through all of your drawers and make sure that's all in order. You guys know what I'm talking about. How many people have kids? And when you tell your kid to go clean their room, you're blown away that they're done in three minutes. You're like, how did you finish that in three minutes? You guys know what the answer is. They took everything and they put it under the bed, or it's all piled up in an enormous stack in the closet. We know how this goes, right? Like, I can't wait for the day that my kids can actually clean their own room. That will be a wonderful day. Oh, happy day, right? Like, that will be a great day. I remember when I was a kid, my mom would come into the, you know, chaotic, disordered mess that was my bedroom, and she would see the mess under the bed, and on the floor, and in the closet, and in the drawers, And her way of fixing the problem, God bless my mother for putting up with me, was to take all of that and put it in one giant mountain in the middle of my floor. And I want you to know this, and my mom would attest to this and she'll laugh about it, and we have a good laugh about it now because this is not me being critical of my mother, but I hated Saturday. When I was growing up, I hated Saturday because Saturday was the day that mom was going to make a mountain in the middle of my floor. And when I looked at that mountain, all I saw was my entire Saturday. (laughs) And there was no joy in it. Now, I know that that's not exactly perfect apples-to-apples comparison, but here's the thing. When we give God access to our life, when he accepts us, and we start to walk in his direction, one of the things that's going to happen is God is going to want to bring some order into our life, and it might mean breaking some things down in us. And thinking about the broken or the breaking process can sometimes be painful. God, I don't want you to go and get, start messing things up, making big mountains of stuff that needs to be thrown away in my life. I don't want you to go through my drawers and go through my closet and reach down under my bed. There's a lot of stuff that's been there for a long time. I don't want to deal with that. It's been quite comfortable right there. And God's like, yeah, but you know what? I've been wanting to pour out some miraculous blessing in your life, but I can't do it unless you're willing to break some things down and let me bring some new order into your life. And here's what's interesting about it, is that when you read on in the story As Jesus feeds the 5,000, you guys know how this goes. The miracle doesn't happen in the bringing, and the miracle doesn't happen in the blessing. The miracle happens in the breaking. 
I hope I got your attention for a minute here because this is where God kind of got mine. I am sometimes afraid to submit to God's process because I'm afraid it's going to hurt. I'm afraid I'm going to have to give some things up. I'm afraid that what I end with is going to be less than what I started with if I submit my life to God. But yet I want God to bless my life and I want God to pour out his miraculous provision in all of these different areas of my life. And God says, you want me to do that? You want me to bless your life and bring miracles into your life and bring provision into your life? That's great, but you got to let me break some things down and bring some new order and structure into your life. And every single time that I want to quit that process, you know what I have to remind myself? The miracle isn't in the bringing, and the miracle isn't in the blessing. The miracle is in the breaking. Because the scripture says that when Jesus broke the bread, what did he do? He didn't say to the multitude, hey, everybody come and get it. He gave it to the disciples, and they distributed it to the people. What am I trying to say? God wants to do a miracle, but if we're not willing to submit our lives to his process, we might not ever get to hold it in our hands. See, I don't know from Scripture exactly how this happened. Scripture doesn't tell us if Jesus started breaking the bread, and in that moment, just miraculously, more bread kept coming and coming and coming and coming until there was just a big pile of it, and they could just distribute it, and it was no problem. Scripture doesn't tell us that. Scripture doesn't say that Jesus gave the disciples the bread and they went out and they began to break it and as they broke it more and more and more and more more just kept coming. We don't exactly know how it happened. What we do know is that everybody was fed, everybody was full and satisfied. And I think the reason why Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how it happened is because sometimes we need to trust God in the process even if we don't know how he's going to do it. Sometimes we need to trust God in the process even if we don't know how he's going to provide for us. And I think God calls us to do that, to trust him, to submit to that process. You know, Scripture says that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Jesus looked at the cross and he realized, this is going to hurt. This is going to be painful. In fact, this is going to break me, my physical body. But for the joy that was set before him, the joy that existed on the other side of the cross, he endured the cross. And see, a lot of us are unwilling to endure the process, to submit to the process, because we are afraid that it's going to hurt and that it's going to break us. But for the joy set before us, if we will submit our lives, allow God to pour out his blessing and submit to that process of breaking, we'll find that the miracle is in the breaking. And all along from the beginning, God wants to put the miracle in our hands but we have to bring him our lives. We have to allow him to bless it while we bless him, watering that seed with praise, and then submit to the process of breaking. Don't be afraid to let God reorganize and order the structure of your life. Even though it might sound difficult and painful, the miracle is in the breaking. Don't be afraid to submit to the process. Then finally, the fourth thing today, The fourth verb that stood out, you repeated it right back to me. It says in verse 20, So they all ate, the entire multitude, they all ate and were filled. Do you know what the word all means in the Greek? It means all. It means every single person that was there that day, they ate, and they didn't just get a little bite to hold them over. They ate and were full because that's who our God is. It goes on and it says, And they took, everybody say take, And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. In other words, there was leftovers. Now, here's what's crazy, okay? Now, the Bible doesn't give us any kind of numerology here, but I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. Do you think it was a coincidence that there were 12 leftover baskets and 12 disciples? I mean, think about it. What really happened here was Jesus said, watch me perform a miracle. I'm going to make sure that everybody eats until they're full. And oh yeah, if you're willing to do the work, guess what? You're going to get a to-go bag also. <laughs> and what's interesting about it is that when I look at this picture, the way that I literally see it is this was like Jesus saying, you've submitted yourselves to the process. You've brought yourself to me. You've allowed me to put my hands on this thing, to bless it, to receive it. And you've allowed me to walk you through the breaking process where you have done the work, where the rubber meets the road, which is the hard yards. And now that the process is over, you've seen the miracle happen. And guess what? There's more than enough. Our God is a God of abundance. Our God is a God of overflow. Our God is a God of more than enough. And if you are afraid to submit to the process because you think you will exit with less than what you started with, our God will always give you more on the end than what you started with. That's who he is. That is his nature. And he is inviting you to submit to the process. 
bring it, bless it, break it, take it. My hope today is that some of this hits you in the way it hit me. It's hard to have God, the Holy Spirit, just kind of point his finger and say, hey, there's an area of your life that you have not brought to me. You want me to bless all facets and all areas of your life, but yet you're unwilling to bring all areas of your life to me. And sometimes we have this unwillingness because we're afraid of how much it might hurt to walk through that, pr- that process of brokenness. Can I tell you something? This process of brokenness before the Lord is where we simply cry out and say, God, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all together. I don't have it all figured out, but I know that you do. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful and sometimes it's difficult. But if, we're willing, if we are willing to submit to the process of allowing God to break us and be broken before the Lord, there is no more humble posture than saying, God, I don't have the answers but I know that you do. I hope that there's people all over this room today that just like me, God's pointing the finger on a few areas and saying, hey, are you ready to open this area of your life up to me? Because I want to pour out blessing, but you haven't been doing the bringing. I hope that this morning God is saying, if you'll bring it to me, if you'll submit to the process, let me get involved. There might be a few things that get broke, but watch me reorder and restructure and reorganize your life. Test me and see if there's not more blessing on the other side than what you started with. I hope that that's where you're at today because I believe that that's what God's been saying to me. So, the disciples took a to-go box home with them. Here's your four things for your to-go box today. Number one, if you're taking notes, stop waiting and bring your life to God. Some of you know what it is. Stop waiting. Stop waiting. There's blessing on the other side of your bringing. Stop waiting. Every area of your life, give God an all-access pass to your life. Number two, water the seed of your faith with praise. If you've already planted the seed but you haven't yet seen the harvest, don't give up in the process. Praise God in the process. It's the water that hits the seed that brings about fruit and harvest in your life. Water the seed of your faith with praise. Number three, Submit to the process. It might look painful. It might look kind of scary. And it might look like it's going to hurt. But guess what? The miracle is in the breaking. And then number four, watch God pour out abundant blessing in your life. Our God is the God of abundance. He's the God of overflow. And he's the God of more than enough. He wants to prove to you that he's your source, he's your provider, and that every good and perfect gift comes from him. But we have to bring our lives to him. We have to submit to his process. But if we will, we'll walk away blessed because that's who our God is. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning? God, I don't know what you're saying to people right now. I don't know what's going on in their hearts. But what I do know is that each and every one of us have to at some point stop and examine if we have surrendered control of every area of our life to you. God, this morning, if there are people here that recognize that there are areas of their life that they have not allowed you to come in and be Lord and God over, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give them the courage and the strength and the faith to step out and allow you to go to work in their lives. God, if there's anybody here today that looks at the disordered chaos of their life and says, this is a mess and I'm afraid to allow God to come in because it just might hurt a little bit, I pray that you would show them the joy that awaits them on the other side of the process because the miracle happens in the breaking. Jesus, I pray that today, every single person here who knows what steps they need to take to pursue you in one area of their life or another, that they would leave this place today and not just think about it, not just ponder it, not just make a plan to one day start, but that they would start now today pursuing you and giving you access to every area. In Jesus' name. Just with heads bowed, eyes closed, there's somebody here today and you have had all kinds of struggles in your marriage, some of you in your business, some of you in your finance. You've been saying, God, bless this area of my life, fix this area of my life, reorder this area of my life. Today's your day to start fresh, to start new. You know who you are and you know specifically what it is. 
Will you open up and let God come in and fix those areas of your life? You say, God, I want, to do, I want you to bring blessing into my life. And God says, yeah, it's time to start doing some bringing of who you are to me. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you might be here today and you've never opened up any area of your life to allow God to come in and be the Lord and Savior of your life. Scripture tells us that none of us are worthy of God's love. None of us are worthy of God's redemption and acceptance. But God loved us so much that he gave his very best Jesus in exchange for our very worst. He sent his son, the one true, sinless, spotless lamb of God who came and lived a perfect life on this earth, something we could not do. He was put on a cross and paid a price for sin that we committed and not him. But he gladly took that punishment upon himself so that you and I could be reunited in relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, if you've never given him that opportunity, I want to tell you something. Jesus died for the chance to know you. And all we have to do is believe that he did that for us, confess it with our mouth. It's a simple prayer of acceptance, saying, Jesus, I accept you and I want to follow you. I'm going to pray that prayer right now and I want to invite every single person here to follow after me and repeat these words. Say it right out loud with everything you got. Everybody in the house, say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you for paying the price that I could not pay. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised to life so that I could live again. Today I choose you. Today I will follow you. I will learn your ways. I believe you're my savior and I want you to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, we're almost done this morning, so please, everybody, just hang tight till the very end of service because this is so important, just out of honor and respect for everybody else around. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we want to help you. That's the end of one journey and the beginning of a new one. We have a simple tool we want to put in your hand. It's a small book called The Next Seven Days. This isn't about us. It's about you and a relationship with God. We want to help you in any way that we can. After service, we'll have some prayer teams right down here at the front of the stage. Just walk right up. Let them know today you made a decision to follow Jesus. You want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're happy to help in any way that we possibly can. You need someone to encourage you, to stand with you, to agree with you. That's why our prayer teams are here. So take advantage of it, please. If you need to go quickly when the service is over, please stop by the next seven days desk. It's right in the middle of the glass doors before you exit the building. Our team is there. They would love to pray with you if you need prayer. But more than anything, if you made a decision, just let them know today I committed my life to Jesus. I want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help and serve you in any way that we can. We're so glad that you made that decision. We're proud of you, and we want to walk this thing out with you. Can we just get a big hand to everybody that made a decision today? Amen. Come on, let's thank Pastor Zach for that message this morning. Bring it, bless it, break it, take it. We want to give you an opportunity this morning to worship the Lord with your giving on the screen. We've got four different ways that you can give, uh, one of which is the very convenient text to give option. If you're watching online this morning, just go to the Give tab. Uh, please know if you're a guest with us this morning, there is no pressure or compulsion to give. This is simply for uh, those who are a part of the Bridge Church to connect financially with the vision and mission of the Bridge Church, connecting people with people and connecting people with God. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs 21, 26 that says this, the righteous one gives and does not hold back. I love the New Living translation of that. It says the godly love to give. We don't give because we have to. We give because we get to. Amen. And your financial support, your generosity, church, it just goes beyond uh, these four walls. It helps our community in so many ways uh, through our community care program, feeding and clothing literally hundreds of people every single week as well as through the ministry that we're able to do as a church in our community and globally through worldwide missions. So um, just know that your generosity is making a huge difference. We give, we are generous because God has been generous to us. Amen. Amen. As the ushers come forward to receive this morning's offering, we just ask that you would remain seated, please, until the end of service. And uh, let's check out church news together. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Bridge. My name is Ashley, and I want to give you a very special welcome today. We hope that you enjoy your morning in church and that you and your family have a wonderful time with us. 
Summer is in full effect and we want to help you stay connected throughout the season. Here's a look at what's happening in the days ahead. We hope you'll find your place and be a part of what God's doing here at The Bridge. This month, we will be having worship and prayer night on Wednesday, August 28th at 7 p.m. These nights are significant as we come together to press into God, encounter His presence, and pray for God to move in our lives and the world around us. If you have a strong desire to experience more of God's presence, or you have needs in your life that you want God to get involved in, we invite you to come to worship and prayer night. Again, it's happening Wednesday, August 28th at 7 p.m. Bridge Kids will also be happening for all kids infant through fifth grade. So make your plans to be here for worship and prayer night. Our desire at The Bridge is for everyone to know others and be known. If you have a desire to build deeper relationships with other people and facilitate spiritual growth in a smaller setting, then we want you to consider being a leader of a connect group. Today, we are having a connect group leader training to prepare for our fall term. It's happening right after the 1130 service in the chapel. Lunch will be provided and we would love for you to come. It's not too late to join us. Come and find out how easy it is to lead a connect group this fall at The Bridge. We hope to see you there. If you're new to The Bridge, we want to personally invite you to stop by the Info Center before you go today. Take a few minutes to come and say hi. Our team would love to meet you and help you get connected in church life. They can also answer any questions that you might have about the church. For more general info and to stay up to date, be sure to check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. You can also stay plugged in by downloading the Bridge app. Just text the keywords, the Bridge Church app to 77977. Thanks again for spending your morning with us and have a wonderful Sunday. It has been an awesome day in church with you this morning. Listen, don't forget this week, be praying for everyone who is a teacher or a student going back to school. Uh, this is back to school week for most everyone. So uh, just be sure to be praying for them as they are going back from break. And um, we will see you next Sunday. We love you guys. Have an amazing Sunday. Sunday.